This message was recorded at Devoted, a Christ Central Festival for all the family. To find out more about Devoted, please visit devotedevent.org. Okay, um, it's just great being together. I uh, want to welcome every one of you again. Uh, I know some of you were able to be here yesterday. Great to have you coming back. And it may be some of you are just coming in for the first time. It's great to have you here. This is the marriage life zone, okay? Just to make sure you're in the right place at the right time. And we're in the pink together, okay? Um, as I explained yesterday, uh, Cheryl and I uh, spoke. And, but today we've got the, the privilege of uh, Lee and Stacey Yarbrough all the way from Mexico, I've known Lee and Stacey for, I think, about 30 years. You know, uh, in fact, I've just asked Lee, how long have we known each other? And he said, how long have we been married? That's it. No, I wasn't asking that question. Okay. <laughs> how long have we known each other? And it's been about 30 years. And actually, we have stayed in each other's homes uh, we've been there when our kids were very small or even before we had some of the kids, and we've seen each other behind the scenes. <laughs> we could do the whole seminar about that, and, uh, and, and, and we could tell stories of things. And so we genuinely, you know, it, it's not just a working relationship, but it's a very deep friendship with both of them. And, uh, and actually, we've kind of journeyed some of the real challenges, both in, in family life, but also in marriage. And there's been a real openness and there's been honesty. I know Lee, at times, has been very free to talk to me if he's picked up wrong attitude in me. And I think, you know, other times, you know, we've, we've just been equal in talking stuff through. So we're, we're super privileged to have Lee and Stacey with us. Uh, Stacey's going to share first. And then Lee will, will follow on. So we get the star of the show first. It's Stacey. And then when Lee speaks, can you kind of look interested as well? You know, I get so discouraged otherwise. Um, and just to say as well, this time what we're going to do, if you've got questions, we're going to make time for Q&A. And if you've got questions, a number has gone up, even as I speak from a very glamorous assistant. Uh, and if you text the questions through... And as long as they're kind of readable out loud and whatever, and uh, then we will do our best to make time and answer those. But without further ado, I want to introduce Stacey. Okay, let's just manage expectations, please. Um, also, for those of you that might not... Probably in this world, this isn't even possible. I have a phone. If you want to, I have these little hotel notes. If you want to scribble down a question or something, and then you can pass it to Roger. So I'll just, you can pass these things around if you want. Okay. Nice weather. Is it okay to pray? Put this time in God's hands. Is that okay? Let's pray, please. 
Let's just take a few seconds to, to be silent. Dear Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you taught us to pray to our Father, not to God necessarily, but to our Father. I'm so thankful for these precious, planned children of yours here today. Whatever their case or circumstance, they may be in difficulty. They may have sublime relationships that they only seek to make better. Some of your children surely are hurting Holy Spirit, have mercy on us. Touch our hearts, dear Lord. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Teach us, Holy Spirit. As we put this time into your hands, we want to become glorious children who reflect your glory to this world, to one another. Bless the babies here today too, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I was thinking this morning, I used to, when I I lived for a few years in the, we live in Mexico, we have for many, many years. But a few years back, we, we went to help a church in the United States, and I worked in a mental health clinic, an outpatient clinic, and the admin bit. And one of the social workers came in one day, and he looked terrible. And I said, Brian, you look awful. What? How are you? Are you sick? He goes, no, man. He said, um, Joe, not the person's real name, a client, called him up at 2 in the morning. And I went, oh, dear, because I had affection for this young guy. And I said, is he okay? And he goes, no, no, no. He called me up at 2 in the morning to ask me, what do women want? <laughs> and I went, what? And he goes, no, it's the first time he's ever been in a relationship sober. So I want to know, what do women want? And I'll be vulgar just for a second. And he said, I, I, said, I don't know. I don't know what the hell women want. You know what Lenny wants? She wants me to move out half the time. And I thought, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. But it is funny how we can love somebody so much and just sometimes get so frustrated with one another, right? So I'm going to start, just review a bit of what Raj said yesterday about creation. We know that God created the heavens and the earth, ex nihilo, as they say, out of nothing. And he began speaking things into being. He is a very powerful God. And uh, he created the world in these little couplets, if you will, little binaries of light, darkness, 
day, night, uh, waters above, water below, land, sea. And then he got to the bit where he created a human. Um, excuse me, I get very, very nervous. Is there, oh, wait. So I have to drink. Um, and so he created a human. And, um, I said, give me a gassy stomach, so that'll be nice. So he created this human, and um, then he noticed the human was alone. Very good. Alone. So, uh, as we read, uh, Adam goes into a deep sleep, and then uh, in the Hebrew it says it uses um, the language of a sacred edifice, like a temple. And he takes out a side, and then he makes a woman. Do you want to hear a joke? This is my husband's favorite joke. I hate it, but it is kind of funny. Um, yeah, but um, it, you guys have probably heard it. But God goes to Adam, and he says, Adam, I see you're alone. I want to make the most beautiful, compliant companion for you. She is just going to sing your praises, and she's never going to criticize you, and she's going to love you with all her heart. Adam said, that sounds great. He goes, but it's going to cost you something. Well, okay. What? Your right arm. Golly. Well, I really, I'm right-handed. I really use it a lot. What would you give me for a rib? So the Lord made a helper suitable for the man, a helpmeet in the old um, English, right? And um, these words mean, uh, in Hebrew, one of them is called ezer, which means help. And the only other time it's used in the Bible is in reference to God, because God is our help in a time of need. So it's not like she's inferior, uh, like my little helper, but she is supplying what Adam lacks. And the other word, suitable, or meat, uh, is a Hebrew word called konegdo that means like opposite. So she's not divine, like God, and she's not an animal. She's a human, like him, but opposite to him. So that's the marriage, right? And so the Bible says that they become one flesh. That means a sexual union. So in having intercourse, that kind of part which was taken from him, they're, they're put back together again, like a puzzle of two pieces. And the image of God is reflected in that union. Um, that union, that sexual union, is beautiful. Um, in the Theology of the Body uh, by... John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, he called the sexual union like an icon of the Holy Trinity. It's that one union, that sublime union, where two people are very individual, but so focused and completed in one another, reflecting the image and the relationship of God in his triune nature. And it is so effusive 
that it flows, it overflows into a shared domestic life. Like that little guy right over there. Yeah. And this is why Christianity, um, Christians teach that that marriage union should be between people of opposite sex and not same sex. In fact, all the prohibitions in Leviticus about sexual union um, have to do when the individuals are too much like each other, like an incest or the same sex, or too different from each other, like um, bestiality. So in the sexual union, it's sort of like not a union, but a reunion. I was, remember that old song, Reunited? Da, 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 da. I don't know all the words to it. Or I could sing. So we've got this couple in a paradise. And in Ezekiel 28, um, it's sort of like a mountain paradise, like a mountain garden, sort of a temple image there in Eden. And, and um, the, the idea is that Eden is earth and then kind of an intersection of heaven and earth. And there are the man and the woman, and God gives them the rule. I, I don't know if they're literal people or figurative. I don't know if these are literal trees or metaphorical. I, I don't care. I, I don't have the theological teeth to argue that. I just have a preference. But the point was this, that God told them, the day that you get your ideas of morality, of right and wrong, from any other fountain, any other source other than me, that's the day that you will die. And in the Hebrew, it says, uh, I think in the Bible, it says you will surely die. But in the Hebrew, it, it says you will die, die. And that's what happened to them. They die, died. They chose autonomy. And uh, then everything began to spiral out of control. And we see um, these sorts of estrangements, of alienations, of disorder. First of all, it's spiritual. God comes to look for them, right? Where are you? And then it turns into sort of a psychological kind of estrangement or alienation or disorder. Uh, um, fear, guilt, shame enters into the picture. And then, of course, it becomes a, a sort of social disorder or um, estrangement, especially between the genders when they begin pointing fingers. You know, it was the woman. No, it was the snake. And everything begins to spiral out of control. In James 4, listen to this, chapter, uh, chapter 4, 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Anybody ever quarreled or fought? No one. They're all in the spiritual warfare. I don't even know why I'm saying this. I don't even know why I'm bringing it up here. Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. Have you ever felt that? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. And you covet, you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you're asking wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And that's the core of all of our conflicts is our own selfishness. Lee and I, when we've talked on marriage before, I always say the biggest problem in our marriage is my husband's selfishness. And then he replies, 
It's my selfishness. Uh, but until we see our own selfishness, as was spoken about um, yesterday, as the biggest problem in our marriage, um, we'll probably have problems. So uh, eventually... Humanity becomes so estranged, so disordered, so alienated, alienated that physically uh, we just fall apart. You, dust you are made from, and to dust you shall <clears throat> return. And God, in the middle of all this, he starts cursing everybody. You know, cursing the guy, your work. Every, every job that we do outside of Eden is, is always threatened with failure. Uh, starts cursing the family. You know, it's really going to hurt when you have a baby. I'm sure that sister will testify <laughs> that it wasn't pleasant. Uh, and, and he says this to the woman. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Has that been fulfilled in your life ever? <laughs> and he will rule over you. That's a promise. That's like the promise your mom gave you when you misbehaved at the store. And she said, just wait till we get home. That's a promise, right? But in the middle of all these curses, he gives another promise. And this is called, uh, I don't know how you say it, the Proto-Evangelion. I will put enmity in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you, the snake, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, He will bruise your head. That's a pretty bad wound. Oh, no, wait. He will bruise your head. That's the fatal wound. And you shall bruise his heel. That's the the lesser wound. So we have a wounded wounded hero. That's Jesus, right? Okay. Now, as the story continues in the Bible, the Bible is totally and completely unsentimental about family relationships. Right away, we see a brother killing another brother, right? And a few guys, uh, generations later, there's a guy that he has. Uh, he kills a guy and sings about it, Lamech, and then he gets a couple of wives. And then a few verses and chapters later, God just does a cosmic mulligan and flushes the whole thing, washes it all away with a giant, giant flood. He starts over again with another family. And so there's a garden, the dad gets drunk. There's a tent, the sun enters, something weird happens, and it just starts all over again. And then a few chapters later, uh, God comes down, confuses languages, and he starts all over again in Genesis 12 with another family, Abraham. And uh, the patriarchs are, they have terrible families and marriages, and, and um, their family life is a disaster, And they were to form this nation that was going to be a sign and symbol to the world um, and show people what it was to be in relationship with God. And that didn't work out. So we see and learn that no amount of our efforts or human machinations will ever be the answer for us as individuals or couples or family. Indeed, the only hope that we see is found in Christ. And that's where we're going with this. And we can see in these patriarchs patterns of sinfulness repeated from generation to generation. Uh, They lie, uh, they cheat, um, and and apart from these these patterns of sinful behavior that go from like Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, 
also see this weird kind of spiritual dynamic that they didn't really count on or plan for or could anticipate where all of the wives were sterile. Isn't that odd? Yeah. So these are the things that we will struggle with as well. And people that have a problem with this um, are people that imagine the Bible to be a book full of values, uh, a book full of um, rules, a book full of stories with morals to them or um, um, people that they should emulate. And all of those things are true. There are a good many values that we need to apply to our lives and rules that we should obey and um, people with characteristics that we should emulate. However, principally, the Bible is not like that. The Bible is a gospel. And the Bible teaches us that every one of us here is far worse off than what we can possibly imagine. So turn to your neighbor and say, you are far worse off than what you can possibly imagine. I didn't think you guys would do it. But, but the good news is that you are far more loved, far more loved than what you could ever dream of. I don't think we have any concepts of that beautiful, beautiful love. And so we're going to fast forward to Ephesians 5. I'm going to read this scripture to you. Because our hope is in Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the servant of servants, right? Christianity isn't about upward mobility. Christianity is a way down. It went from heaven to earth to stripping down to your bare bits and washing feet in front of your friends, then being stripped down to your bare bits, nailed on a cross in front of your worst enemy. Do we agree on that? Wives, first of all, before it says that, um, Paul says, submit to one another in reverence to Christ. In Ephesians 5.21. And it says, wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit. Did that come out right? Should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands... Can you say it? (laughs) Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Remember, we learned that. She is his body, right? He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one, only in... I don't know what the PC word is to say. Only that very ridiculous, vacuous-headed person... No one like that ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, he's quoting scripture now, this little prophecy that Adam made a long time ago, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, I'm saying that refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now that word, I, I, I will take a bullet for this one. Submit. Wives submit. Okay, I know how that sounds. Um, I, I live in a very um, a culture that's very gender identified, I guess, um, with very, very strong gender roles, I guess. However, um, I love this word. Because what it means essentially is that you come up under a person and lift them up to be the best they can be. Do you remember when you were a little kid and you wanted to jump over a fence or something and you had your friend give you a boost over? Okay, that's the idea. And I, my, my mom and dad, they, um, they were southerners from the United States and they were from these poor agricultural families. And um, they lived along the, the Mississippi Delta. Um, in the vernacular, they were cotton choppers. They planted cotton. And my dad lived on one side of the Mississippi, my mother the other. And to this day, there's still a lot of commerce that goes up and down that river. And so what they have to do continually is dredge it. And that gets all the, the sand and silt off the bottom of, uh, of the river. And they pile it up on the sides. And that way, the ships can go through the tugboats and etc. barges. And you know how wet sand is almost sort of malleable. It has a consistency that's different than dry sand, right? So um, that can be a lot of fun, or it can be very, very dangerous if you're a little kid. And uh, there was a story in the paper that, that this mom became, she, children, her two little boys went out to play. She became very alarmed when they didn't come home. So she rallied the neighbors and family, and they went out to look for these little boys. And they found the young one. He was, he was buried in sand up to his chest. And the weight of the sand had compressed it so much that, you know, he couldn't breathe anymore and he fainted. So they frantically were digging him out, digging him out, digging him out. And they grabbed him and started shaking him awake and screaming at him, Where's your brother? Where's your brother? And when he came to, he said, I'm standing on his shoulders. That's the idea, ladies. You lay your life down. See? Uh, yes? Sorry. You lay your life down. And what does it say about the guys? You have authority. Wow. Authority. We go to heaven. We look at authority, right? You got emerald rainbows and 
Gold Streets and Jasper this and Onyx that and Sapphire and Thunder and Lightning and elders throwing down crowns and everybody singing holy, worthy, and it's amazing. But who are they singing to? Who are they doing this for? You look on that throne, and there's this, like, little teeny lamb, and he's all cut up. That's authority. A humble man giving his life for his wife and his family. Both of us in marriage, you see, we, this happens in Christ, in community, in your churches, with pastors, with elders, with good friends. Because we know human nature, we can abuse, right? That's a spiritual warfare, guys, again. We can abuse. We're washing each other. That's what the Word of God says. You wash one another. You're making each other glorious in marriage. Um, How do you wash your most private and delicate bits? Do you get in there with a fiber and... Sulfuric acid and just scrub away. They're gentle. You don't want to hurt that stuff. That could sting. Your husband, he has those delicate areas in his life. And so treat them delicately. Don't wound his ego unnecessarily in the name of Jesus. I've never done that. (laughs) My nose is growing. Your wife is really, really sensitive. You know, little animals, they, they, little fox will hear her little, you know, puppies do something and immediately she'll know what to do. I will guarantee you this couple with a young baby, look at that thing and go, what do you want? <laughs> there will be times your wife, your girlfriend, she'll just be crying and you won't know why. You won't figure it out. Ever. (laughs) We laugh because we know it's true. It's true. But you can be a compassionate and loving husband, can't you? Come on, guys, you can do it. I know you can because you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you don't have Jesus, boy, would we love to talk to you about that. That would help you and your marriage immensely, right? Okay, I'm going to end this story with um, a story about a friend of uh, my husband, of my husband's really. Um, my husband went to a church that my brother-in-law pastored, and, and one of his friends at church was a single mom. And so years later, she came down to Mexico to visit 
um, Lee's brother Bill, and so we went over to say hi to her. And we're all Alaskans, talking about Alaskan things, you know. And um, so our friend Dawn um, was telling us about one night when she went skiing in the evening, like cross, uh, do you call it alpine or cross country? And um, it was one of those nights where it was clear, and um, the wind had blown, had blown uh, all the snow off the lake, but it was frozen solid. And the, ice, uh, the snow wasn't the best because it was icy and crunchy. But she said, you know, I looked and I saw the moon shining on those mountains and the reflection on the ice on the lake. She said it was so beautiful, I just started to cry. I said, God, look what you've made. And every Alaskan can relate to that because we've all been surrounded by such beauty. And maybe you guys here too. I mean, boy, this is a beautiful area, the Lake District, and we just want to weep because of what God's created. Uh, think about it. That lake was reflecting light from the mountains that was reflecting light from the moon that was reflecting light from the sun all the way on the other side of the planet. What you guys do in marriage, how we work together as a couple, is this. We are washing. We're purifying. We're making each other shinier and shinier every day to reflect the image of God to the world. Okay, conflict is a part of marriage, and so now my husband is going to tell you how to resolve all of them. My wife's pretty cool, is what I say. And she has a wonderful sense of humor. And I never know what she's actually going to say at these times. So, yeah, that was great. Thanks, honey. Just, I'm going to try to be very practical, uh, just with mentioning a few things with the, the amount of time that we have. Uh, we can't talk about everything, um, which is unfortunate. But, yep, we'll cover a few things. I want to just say who we are. Stacy and I have been married... 36 years now. We have four boys. They're the age of 35, 32, 30, and 25. And somebody mentioned this yesterday. If any, three of them, two of them are married. We have three grandchildren, two girls and a, and a little guy that was just born about a month ago, our first grandson. Um, so, yeah, we're all older now. And um, um, I'm 60. This, I just turned 60. So, uh, we have these kids, and it was mentioned yesterday, one of them isn't married, actually, the 30-year-old. He's a pre professional football player. Well, one's kind of got a fiancé. Yeah, but the one that's 30, he's six foot three. he's a goalkeeper, first division in Mexico. So, if you have a daughter that you'd like to, <laughs> you know, he's a really nice guy, he, he owns his own home and everything. Um, he's in really good shape, you know. He's, yeah, so anyway, we can talk later, but that's, that's good. So that's, that's who we are. We've been in Mexico 34 years. So what we did is not recommended. We were sent out from Alaska uh, after only being married for two years, and we had a one-year-old kid. So that's not really the secret to ministerial success. Uh, we can honestly say it is by God's grace that we're here today um, in all of us, basically. And so we're, we're very thankful. And so I just, 
one of the things that uh, Roger asked me to talk about is a little bit about emotionally healthy stuff, which I'll just mention this in a little bit and get to some practicalities. Uh, because a couple, three years ago, I was, I was in a very bad place. Um, I didn't have a breakdown, but I was very apathetic. I was very upset. I was mad at a few leaders in Mexico. Uh, I had been treated unethically by a few people. Um, and I was just not in a good spot. So my wife one day says, you need some help. And I said, we both need help. She goes, no, you really need some help. And so she got online, and this somebody asked about a course, and it's not a marriage course, but it is something that changed my life. Besides God's grace, it's an emotional, healthy leadership course out of New York with Pete Scazzaro. Um, and so just fortunately enough, we had some money in a drawer that some people had given us. And my wife says, you need to go to this conference. And I said, no, we need to go to this conference. Because she wasn't in a good spot either. We were in a very difficult spot. Um, and my close friends know this. Jeremy knows it and everybody else. Um, and she goes, no, you need to just go somewhere where you don't know anybody. Learn something different from a different point of view that you've never heard before. And just go through this and be on your own and see what God does. Well, I went on that course, and I met all these amazingly broken, wonderful people. And I'm talking about very talented people, very gifted people, presidents of seminaries, people with PhDs, doctorates. And in the midst of all these people, you realize that we do have issues. Um, now, we might not admit it, but we really do. Uh, so really, the, the emotional, healthy spirituality course and leadership course that I did, it was, a lot of it was just about slowing down. Just slowing down a bit. Um, and it was also about getting a good rhythm of life. We, we live our lives pretty much chaotically and out of control. Most of us do. And it's about resting as well, taking time to rest. And I'll get to this in a little bit. But it's something I would recommend. Some people have just read the books, and they're good books. But at the same time, just reading the book doesn't do it justice. You can do the courses online if you'd like, but you learn a lot about yourself. I come from a very broken home as a, as a young person. Uh, my mom was an alcoholic. She yelled at me every single day, basically, of my life since I was two, and she says, you're no good. You're never going to amount to anything. You're just like your father. You're never, and actually, even though I was very talented with sport, that was kind of my outlet where I could actually, that's where I lived, uh, besides the party scene, um, I believed it. And still, to this day, I'm a very insecure person um, because of how I was raised. My dad wasn't around. Uh, my parents divorced. So I, I kind of grew up on my own. So, but you get saved, you become a Christian, and you think these issues are all resolved. But what we forget is when we do come together as broken people, we bring these things into our marriages. And they actually come out at different points along the way. So if we're not good in God, if we're not resting, if we're not having a good rhythm, then the pressures of life come and things happen and kids and all this, then all of a sudden these things start emerging and they can be very difficult to overcome and, and things. And so I, I would encourage you to look at that course. Um, and the idea right now is just to talk with you guys about a few things. I always say that when it, in marriage and this whole thing about love, which obviously we know if you're a believer, it comes from the Lord. But this whole desire to be loved, we all desire to be loved, comes from God. And the amazing thing is God gives us an ability to love another person because 
God is love. All of us, I think, and I'm, again, this is my story or our story together. We all have doubts and questions. And I believe that some of us here would uh, have some of these things. I believe that di- different times in our lives we, have, we ask the question, is, is there some hope still for us, for me, um, for my family, my marriage, my kids? What about, I don't, I'm not sure if I can forgive him. Or I'm not sure if I can forgive her. Is there forgiveness for me? Questions along those lines. Um, my past, I'm not sure what to do. And so the idea, and it, it's like we, we, we jest, I know, and, and it is kind of funny, the spiritual warfare conference. We're, we want somebody to do something for us when actually we need to do something ourselves in response to what is happening in our lives. Okay? Uh, because in our marriages, what we have to we have certain patterns. Uh, it's, it's just as easy as driving a car. You don't even think about it. There's certain p- behavioral pr- patterns that we have. If we start doing a few things differently, over a course of about two months, science will tell you, those kind of new things that you're doing become patterns that you involuntarily begin to do. For example, I love you, dear. Okay? There's people that, there's a guy, a story in Mexico about two people. They both committed adultery right before they got saved. Okay, and they get saved, and it comes out, and they're fighting in our living room at the table, and I hate you, and I hate them, and it was terrible. And so he goes, I don't think I ever loved my wife. I married her, but I don't think I ever loved her. And they had kids and all this kind of stuff, and they got saved. And then I said, his name's Ugo. I said, Ugo, you do love your wife. You just have forgotten that you do. And he goes, no, I don't love her. I don't think I do. I said, yes, you do. Because jealousy and rage like that against another person speaks that, I do care about you so much that you're making me feel this way about you. Okay, that's one thing to remember. Those things that we, the thing that we love the most is sometimes the thing that is the most difficult to deal with. Um, And so I said, all I want you to do, Ugo, is two times a day, just say, I love you to Chela. He goes, I don't want to do that. I said, just do it. He goes, I don't want to do it. Years go by, okay, now an elder in the church, one of our churches that we have, they had a marriage conference. He said the following. He said, you know, when Lee first started telling me about my marriage, he said, tell your wife you love her. He goes, I didn't want to do it. I thought this white guy, he's Mexican, this white guy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He goes, but I did it. And then it became real to me again, and I understood that I do love my wife. And so they were wonderfully reconciled. All their kids got saved. They're all doing great in the Lord. And there is hope for us all because we need to develop some different habits and patterns uh, than we you know, sometimes do. And the thing is, all marriages, every single one, requires work. And it's not just everybody's looking to find the perfect soulmate or chemistry or just being lucky. I got the right one. No, no, no. It is about working these things out together. And Stacy was talking about the theology behind that, which was excellent in what she was doing. Question, do you remember your vows? Okay, think about covenant for a minute, a covenant-keeping God. I always say this when I marry people, the vows are never for your wedding day, but for every day thereafter. And they're still for today. And you make promises, I promise to love you, for better, for worse. You know, sickness and health, abundance and lack forsaking all others i'm only for you they prayed for me at the prayer time this morning uh her name is uh, rebecca uh, i don't know if she's here um a nice young lady 
And she just prayed something really simple. She goes, as Lee gives his marriage talk, just let him help the people understand all about Jesus and his unselfish love. And I sat there, that's the seminar. I don't have to say any. It's about unselfish love as Christ loved the church. He's, he's, he's a covenant-keeping God, obviously. Because we, you know, God sees us. The thing to do is to apply the gospel to your marriage. That's the bottom line. So a few things about the gospel. Um, one of Stacy was talking about Jesus being crucified. Um, one of my favorite scriptures or verses in the Bible. As Jesus is being crucified, some of his last words were, For, forgive them, Father, or Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, nobody at the time was asking for forgiveness. But yet God's heart ahead of us has always been forgiveness so that there's reconciliation. There, you're not going to be reconciled to anybody in this room unless there's forgiveness. And it begins with God, obviously, and one another. So, you know, God sees our need. That's part of the gospel. Man says, I'm fine the way I am. Not man like a gender. I'm just a man and woman. Okay, mankind, humankind. The gospel is a motivated thing by love. Okay? Man, we live with our selfish desires, as Stacy said. God came to serve us. We are wanting others to serve me. And we're demanding that. The gospel says, Father, let your will be done. We say, I want my way and my will. The gospel is giving of your life. And man saying, it's all about self-preservation. And so these, these things, a few of them, about the gospel, we need to apply these gospel truths into our marriages um, because that's what it's all about. It's really easy to actually destroy our marriage. Um, it can happen really quickly. We just forget to do things. We don't do things. And we become these selfish people. We become these people that are not applying the gospel, and then we find ourselves very uh, separated in many ways uh, in our marriages. So one thing to consider, do we, do, do we understand our weaknesses, or are you expecting perfection from your spouse? Okay, and that means physically, emotionally, spiritually. So like Stacy said, a few years back, we went to help this church in Montana. My friend had died. He was the pastor, and his last will and testament said that he wanted me to come and help his church make it through. So we went up there to do that. And I was there and I am kind of a square bodied person. And so my wife, one day I was in going to put on my shirt and she looked at me and she goes, Oh honey, you're getting a bit fat. I said, just be quiet. No, I didn't say anything. I, what she said was really true. So I thought, okay, I better get in shape, okay? So I'm trying to do the right thing. So I started to exercise again, which I hadn't been for a while. And so then, a little bit later, she says, oh, honey, you, you've lost a little weight. So I'm going, yes, I'm on the right track here. And so then it got to the point she goes, oh, honey, you're looking pretty good. But now you just need to firm up a little bit. And I just said... <laughs> What's with last way? So I'm still working on that, but it, I'm going the opposite direction at my age now. So anyway, uh, so do we understand each other's weaknesses or not? 
Or are we fixating ourselves upon every fault and pointing out everything that's imperfect about our spouse? If, if you know me, if you knew me, you could find my weaknesses at any given moment, at any certain time, just like with Stacy and Roger. And Roger and I, we know our weaknesses actually really well. Um, but the thing is, that's not the gospel, to fixate upon weakness and faults and blaming others and all of that. Uh, and we do that, we become very critical. And so Ephesians 4, which is one of my favorite texts, but here's the answer. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, lifting others up, like Stacy was saying, according to their needs. We have needs, okay, that need to be met in the sense through the application of the gospel. So it might benefit those who listen. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The biggest apologetic to the world that God exists is what we reflect in our marriage. It's Christ and the church. Okay? And that's one of the biggest evangelistic tools we could possibly have when we're married couples. Okay? If we're married. Okay? And he says, um, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And the answer is this. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And I'm telling you, this, this is like the biggest one ever. Forgiving one another, just as in Christ, God forgave you. But they don't deserve forgiveness. Well, neither do you. Nobody deserves forgiveness in this room. But because of God, who is rich in mercy, for his, because he loved us first, then he's provided this wonderful reconciliation through, obviously, the death of his son. So the whole thing, it goes back to the gospel itself. Reconciled to God, reconciled to one another. What do I do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything depends on that. They don't deserve it. They hurt me. Well, yeah, we, we all have. So I say some of the most mature words are not that I'm sorry, but say, I sinned against you. Please forgive me. Will you forgive me? Because a lot of people, when they try to reconcile, they say, oh, you know, I, I messed up. Sorry. And they go, okay. But there's, actually, that's not forgiveness. Nobody asked anything. They, just, they made a statement. Yeah, I really messed up. You know, I'm sorry. But actually, you have to say, I did hurt you. Will you please forgive me for what I said? And the other person goes, no. You don't deserve it. No. Then you have to say, then you have to say in the context of Christianity and the gospel, is there any way when somebody asks you to forgive them that you should not forgive them? How, Peter says, how often, Lord, should I, should I forgive my brother? Seven times. Actually going way beyond what was tradition of the day. But he says 70 times seven, meaning it's a life of. It's a continuing thing because we will make mistakes. So what is it that we're looking at or to? If you are discontent, I put it like this in my note, look to Calvary amid your discontent. Because if you do, you may notice that the only perfect person that ever existed is the one hanging on the cross. So are we, per, are we expecting this perfection thing? And do we understand the whole thing about weakness um, or not? I'm using my phone right now because I'm trying to watch the time. Um, but, you know, the communication item or the whole thing with communications, really important. And, uh, you know, there's an amazing thing, a feature on our phones that 
is a function that a lot of people don't even realize exists, um, it, and they don't even know about it really. It's this wonderful little button that you can use to turn off your phone. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed that. Back in the day, so I think one of the things that's killing marriages, to be honest, and humankind is social media. I even got put on Instagram. Did you see we got put on Instagram today? Yeah, we're, we're like the new models of Devoted or something. But anyway, but I believe social media really divides up marriages. People are, my wife, okay, I remember one time walked in the house talking on the phone because it was an important phone call. It's about the church and stuff, you know. And I walked in and she looked at me, didn't say anything, walked away and went up back upstairs to her office. And then, so I'm downstairs. I said, honey, aren't you going to come down? She goes, well, you seem to be pretty busy talking on the phone. And we had to discuss something. Well, she had to discuss something with me. Was that, you know, I, it's kind of dis- I feel not taken into account when you come home talking on the phone before you even greet me or say hi to me, but you're actually talking to another person. She says, just stay in the car, finish your phone call. So when you actually walk in the door, like, you're there for me. Okay, these things, uh, it's, it's not, <laughs> okay, um, I, 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 this, this is really basic, simple, practical stuff. Take time to talk. Remember the thing about the rhythm of life and slowing down? Walk, drink coffee together, because time is proven in real terms. We can say a lot of things and make promises, but time is actually the most important thing. You'll never get it back. People ask me mistakes I made along the way. I've made like two uh, in my life. Um, one of those being, I didn't spend enough time with my kids when they're growing up. I regret that to this day. Um, now, I've gotten time back in a sense because we have a wonderful relationship. Uh, we do sports together and all that. But I missed out on a lot of stuff. I traveled too much. I regret that and regret not spending more time with her, my wife, okay? So do we, just both sides, do we make any sacrifices so we can have more time? Like, I've heard stories about guys who play golf. I play golf. If you play 18 holes, that's a lot of time. And if you do that too much and your wife says, you're going golfing again? What she's saying is, "Um, I want some of your time. You know, and actually I've learned something. If I, and I'm being serious, and I'm not, I do not have the perfect marriage, believe me, okay? But if I give my wife time, like I should, she actually will suggest that I go play golf. (laughs) Which you all know, just leave me alone. Go, go away somewhere. But there you go. And then, you know, we worry. I think we worry sometimes when there is a... I, I, I'm a person, when there's a conflict or something, I have to resolve it. I'm a guy. I have to resolve it like now. And the way us Yarbrough people are, meaning me, not her family. Well, her family's actually worse, maybe. Her family's a hot-headed family from the South. They're Southerners, and they like to fight about everything. Okay? <laughs> and so... But I am a bull. I'm, I am like stubborn bull... And I want to fix it now. That's what guys do. Okay? And sometimes when there's a problem, especially if you're going to give a marriage talk, 
you might just have a little conflict before you get to the talk, okay? That didn't happen this morning, thankfully, because I left early and we didn't see each other. So, <laughs> so there, was a, there was a person, the first time I came to England, which I'm not sure when that was, a long time ago, uh, I was at actually a marriage conference. I was jet lagged, but I went because it was a thing I was supposed to be at. So the, this was said, and I've never forgotten it. This had to be almost 30 years ago. The absence of problems in our marriage isn't a sign of how spiritual we are. Rather, when problems arise, how we resolve them shows our true spirituality. Dun, da, da, da. That was Roger By. He said that, and I've never forgotten that. Um, Stacy, when, when she and I started dating, we got... Uh, set up by some friends of ours. We met on a blind date, and we went to a Mexican restaurant, so we ended up getting married and moving to Mexico, so I believe in prophetic dating, so I can help with that. But that was back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. There were no phones, okay? No computers. It was just us. Do you ever remember those times? When, it, when is it just you? Without the laptop, without the phone, without... I mean, you might have to if there's an emergency that could possibly happen, but just you dating, time together, do you remember that? When you're dating, you sacrificed the call. When you're married, you take the call. Think about that. Just think about that, okay? We wrote love letters back and forth. She's a great writer, actually. She's really funny and stuff. And so we've moved many times. And one time she threw out a bunch of love letters that I gave her. Exactly. I was going, oh, you can't do that. And she goes, nobody wants to. We're going to die. This is how we talk. She goes, we're going to die, you know, and our kids are going to be stuck with a box of love letters between us. Our boys aren't going to want to see those. I said, they might not. But our daughter-in-laws, who are Mexican, are very romance-oriented people and Latin people. They're going to want to see them. She goes, nah. We told our daughter-in-law is that she goes no why i want why one of those letters she goes i think i'll get rid of my wedding dress my daughter-in-law says no you can't do that but the thing is this technology is okay it can be a, a, you know a servant or a terrible master and, and without any discipline it can destroy our relationships passwords do your if you do stacy knows how to get on my phone uh all my passwords and all that and vice versa no secrets Secrets can be deadly when it comes to our relationships, okay? So that's a, a little bit about that. Another thing to remember is we always need to resolve any kind of negative feelings on a daily basis when needed. Uh, it, one thing like that Stacy and I, and this has taken us, or me, years to understand. I'm the fix-it guy. I want to... Okay, no, we need to talk now. No, now is not a good time. No, we're going to talk now. I need to, you're just going to get upset. No, I'm not getting upset. We need to fix it now. Okay. What she's trying to tell me is don't, okay, don't resolve this right now because I might say something, she says, that I don't want to say, and you might say something. So, but it should be resolved during the day at some point. Actually, the way your brain works, your emotions hit here in the back of your head, and before you actually think about things, there's a small amount of time where you say the worst things. And so that's why it is good. You know how the, you know, count to 10 before you discipline your children. Um, 
Why is that there? Just clinically speak, I'm not a doctor, but the way it works is we just, something happens and we respond emotionally in the moment without stopping, just stopping. And it's good just to walk out of the room for a minute or two, get a glass of water, say a little prayer, God help me on this one, um, so that we can actually have a thought process behind all that. If not, it's just about um, reaction, okay? So if not... If conflicts aren't resolved, actually they do allow for the devil to get a foothold in our marriages. That's why you're not supposed to go to bed angry, um, because you'll think about it. You'll get up the next day, and this person next to you is the person that you just don't like. Uh, And like Stacy says, you know, sometimes when we don't understand it, women, different stages in life, you know, they look at you in the morning and go, I don't even want you in this bed with me right now. Um, Because of hormones and different things happen, you know. but what happens is, if there's no resolution, again, it's the gospel resolving conflict. And that's why when we hide things from God or we're not dealing with things in God, it affects our lives and it definitely will affect our, our marriage as well. Um, so I say give your life to your spouse or you're looking out for number one. What is the priority for time, resolving issues, the communication thing? Um, and I thought I'd just read this because we all do at one point in the little conference like this love is patient love is kind it doesn't envy it does not boast and it's not proud it does not dishonor others it's not self-seeking it's not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects remember ephesians 5 it always trusts always hopes always always perseveres love never fails the gospel never fails okay one of the best definitions of power in Scripture is in Romans when Paul says, the gospel is, and it describes, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's one of the only statements that you'll ever find like that. What is power in the Bible? It is, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Okay, so that is something to remember. Another thing that we just have to do practically, and that's why I like being married to Stacy, because we have fun together. I mean, she makes me laugh, and I make her laugh, not necessarily on purpose by telling jokes, but I do things that she finds are just like, really? You actually did that? Um, and she laughs about it. She's laughing now, see? Um, and it is about being friends, because we were friends before we got married. We dated. Maybe some of you didn't, but we kind of dated and have fun. And we, we would go walking in the snow under the moonlight, dancing in the moonlight, everybody. Um, there's another part of the song that you do after marriage about what we do every night, but that happens after, you know, you get married. Um, re- about the song. Anyway. Um, but you're, somebody says it like this. You're never better than when you're having fun. We have a rule in Mexico. Early on, we did with all the people that were working cross-culturally. Don't take yourself too seriously. And don't forget to have fun. You have to be able to laugh at the silliness of things and the mistakes that we make, uh, things like that. And there was, there was this one couple that kind of like the golf thing out of Texas. And he was a hunter. People down south in Texas, they hunt pheasant and they hunt deer and stuff like that. I know it's a different culture than around here. Um, we're not going to talk about guns right now. Um, but <laughs> the thing is, is, is he liked to go hunting and he spent a lot of time going off hunting into the woods and stuff. And so his wife was looking for a way to sacrifice, because she hated hunting, 
And she goes, I think I'll go hunting with him. So he says, honey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go hunting with you this weekend. And he says, really? And he, he says later, he goes, I just thought she wanted to take me out to the woods and shoot me. Was what, <laughs> you know. But that's kind of how it is. But it's having fun. And I got this out of some stuff I was looking at before putting the, some of this together. If you take sex and fun out of marriage... It just becomes a business relationship, you know? Um, and so we did, I don't know if any of you guys were here a couple of years ago. It was two years ago, right? We did a whole thing about the best sex you've ever had. There, you might be able to find online somewhere. We did a seminar about sex um, and stuff. And that's one of the things that we struggle, not us, but we struggle with in, as couples. And we don't communicate about it. We're not honest about it. We don't talk about it. Our past gets in the way. Uh, we're insecure about who we are, our bodies, all those things become a real issue. Uh, but we want to have fun uh, together. Um, and you just have to make time again. Like this, the single guy that asked, how can singles, singles serve? And the very first thing he says is take care of the kids for somebody. That's one of many things that single people can do. There might be other things, you know, very practical things you can do as well. But that's the whole thing about the whole old language of leaving and cleaving is you pursue this person. It's a cleave. It's a pursuing a person, making it the number one priority. This should the, the number one priority on the earth, besides your relationship with God in heaven, is your spouse. That has to be number. It's before kids, before career, before leisure, before sports, before hobbies, before everything else. It's your marriage partner, priority number one. Maybe even have I say, I have I have a brother. He scandalized everybody one time at a conference because they're a bunch of legalists, and they were talking about marriage. He goes, I'm just going to say something that I think that's going to help everybody's marriages. If you want to put fire or romance back in your marriage, here's what I suggest you do, guys. Book a hotel room, go by, pick up a couple bottles of wine, and take your wife out for some drinks in the hotel room and just spend a weekend together. That'll do more for your marriage than any conference or seminar you'll go to this week. <laughs> and the place was like, oh, they, were, they couldn't believe it. But, that being said, you don't have to drink wine or all that. But, it's just, again, time. Doing something a little bit different that you haven't done, or you haven't done for a while, or you forgot about it, and all those things. Another thing, too, really quickly, is um, close friends. Roger mentioned this. We need to have close friends with other couples who are believers. How many of you are full-time Christian leaders here and get paid by church somewhere? One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, what this means is everybody else, all of you guys are living in a real world. Okay? Okay, but here's the point. There's an influence and pressure around us as believers in society. And if we're not careful, we develop too close of friendships and relationships with or non-believing people that are telling us all kinds of, oh, and we start saying things about our spouse to other people, and then there's an influence that can take place. And other people get involved in these relationships. So I, that's why social media and stuff is really, really dangerous. And the workplace can be as well, okay? Uh, so we need to have good couples, or couples that are, sorry, it's my Spanish, buenas parejas, um, Good couples that we can trust ourselves with. They can say anything to us. And who would those people be with you guys? 
who can you just like be yourself, talk about anything and everything? Like Roger, Cheryl, I mean, I've been in their house. One of the, fir- the first time, I-, I won't tell the story, but the first time I was at their house, one of their kids did something that I was actually laughing about in the inside, but they were appalled. And Cheryl's got me in her house for the first time, and she goes, Roger, you need to take him out and goes, talk to him, like, right now. And so Roger, like, and I'm just over there going, never happens in my home. No, but yeah, it does all the time. So he comes to my home, and the same thing happens, you know. So here's another quick thing. I'm almost done. Uh, I call it, it's not my idea. I read it in a book many, many years ago. It's called The Love Bank. All of us have a bank account that we make deposits in, and we have withdrawals. If you take too many withdrawals out without putting in a deposit, you become bankrupt, and the account is closed. We bankrupt our marriages by not depositing into our love bank, which is the other person. And it's really easy to do this. I love you, honey. You're beautiful, honey. Are you busy tonight? We got a caravan. Um, but it's, it's the little things like, oh, honey... You're actually lost some weight without the, now you just need to firm up part. But, <laughs> but you kind of, and your wife, you know, she she's comes down and all this kind of stuff and she's all dressed up and we don't say anything. And she's, I guarantee you that your wife is wanting to hear something from you. You have taken some time, she has taken time to make herself look good for you, okay? And we don't notice. That's a pretty big withdrawal when it's really to say, hey, you look very nice. I like the dress or I like what, you know, anything. Just deposit. Good morning. That's a good one. <laughs> and before you leave the house, all you have to do, just give a little hug and a, a little hug and a little kiss. <laughs> That's the Mexican speaking English. Um, <laughs> and just give her a kiss and say, bye, I'll talk to you later. Love you. Love you too. See you later. There are little touches, little deposits in this thing called the love bank that are really important, okay? And then the last thing is, I just want to say God's grace is sufficient for us all. There is hope for the future, okay? Again, I was a pretty bad, messed up young person. Now I'm just a little bit better as an older person. No. Um, but it's been by God's grace. really has. And I say, by grace, there's power that transforms us. Okay? There's grace, which one of the definitions of it is divine influence upon the heart. Okay? By grace, we're forgiven, and we can forgive others. But again, the gospel is always about a great invitation, I say. One of the best invitations that you'll ever get. It's not to a party. It's not to a birthday. It's not to a wedding. But it's the one that's opened all the time in Matthew when Jesus says, Come unto me. Come unto me, all your burden, weary, heavy, laden. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Okay? I'm weak, meek, and lowly of heart. You'll find rest for your soul. So it's the application, again, of coming to Christ, the application of the gospel for ourselves and in our marriages that makes all the difference in the world. And nobody deserves all this, you know, the forgiveness, blah, blah, blah. But nor did we. And it always goes back to the heart of the gospel. So those hopefully are helpful hints and things that we can talk about, but um, just say God bless you.
you know? And yeah, we'll do questions. Um, and just understand that there is hope. Um, I've, we've seen it in Mexico, just in our context, people that were really, really damaged and stuff come to the Lord first and foremost, uh, and then because of the Lord, actually been wonderfully reconciled. We've seen many stories like that. So please don't think that your situation, that's one of the, I think, the enemy's lies. This is beyond hope now. No. There never is a beyond hope in God. Okay? And there's always a way forward when two people are both wanting to apply the gospel to their life. Okay? Um, Unfortunately, some people don't. But the idea is that as we both get closer to God as individuals, then we get closer to one another as well. But it is about the application of the, the gospel. So God bless you. Hopefully it was helpful what Stacey and I shared. Now we'll do questions.